today we're going to be looking at one of the most misunderstood and least considered biblical truths, the whole issue of heaven. Okay, so I am uh, going to read from Revelation chapter 21 and a few verses from chapter 22. The scripture will come behind me on the screen so you'll be able to follow it, reading from the New International Version. So I'm just going to read to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes." There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Then chapter 22, the first five verses. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Magnificent passage. As I start, I just want to recommend some of you like reading, good thick book, um, John Hunt. Uh, recommended this to me. It's a great book by a guy called Randy Alcorn um, called Heaven, and uh, it's, uh, it will inspire you, it will provoke you to think, it will provoke you to revisit your Bible and read and see what the Bible has to say about heaven. Heaven is a really, this is such an important issue, such an important subject, and uh, Sometimes we just get hoodwinked on the whole issue. There was a, I've got a a book in uh, my study which talks about some of the worst signs in the world. And there was this sign, literally there was a true sign, it was on a church door, and this is what the sign said. It's it's written in old language, old uh, the these and the thous, but it says this. This is the gate of heaven, enter ye all by this door. Unfortunately, underneath there was another little sign that someone had put subsequently, and it said this, this door is kept locked because of the draft. Please use side door. (laughs) It says everything, doesn't it? What we believe about heaven is vitally important to all of us. And yet somehow we fail to grasp the truth of what the Bible teaches, and Uh, For a lot of us, we end up living simply for this world. And therefore, we effectively lock the front door and uh, we move 
that heaven to being a side door around the side. The Bible is clear. Jesus himself said there are only two destinations after we die. We go to heaven or hell. There's no in-between. So, Jesus says we need to be prepared. And at the end of this life, those who love God go to be with him forever, we just read. Now, Ellie, when Ellie went to Zambia and she started talking about going to Zambia, I remember meeting with her, Annette and I met with her, and uh, we talked uh, uh, about it. And uh, lots of the things, because uh, I, I sort of, my head went into uh, practical mode. I was saying, you need to do this, you need to think about that. I gave her a long list of things that she needed to do. And one of the things that we talked about, and I suggested, you need to get, make sure you get your paperwork all sorted. Get it done quickly. And um, uh, I remember Ellie saying to me a couple of weeks later, uh, 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 she'd only just started doing it. She said, oh, it's looking a bit... Look, I'm not sure I'm going to get it all done. And in the end, she got there. She got her paperwork done. What would have happened if she'd left it a bit longer? She would have been refused entry into Zambia. All her hopes and dreams would have been crushed. Recently, true story, someone from the Chichester church was going to Nepal. Turned up at Heathrow, I think it was, and was refused uh, to uh, boarding for the plane because he didn't have the right paperwork. The, the airline said, there's no point us taking you there because you will not get uh, into, you're flying into India, they will not put you on a flight from in that airport, I think it was to Mumbai, and uh, uh, was flying up then into Nepal, you will not get a flight. Won't give you one. And so... At great cost, didn't get his money back, was unable to go. If what the Bible says is true, we need to do everything we can so that we are ready for heaven. Part of my responsibility in leading the church with being a pastor is to ensure people are prepared to meet God. As I look around, and I look around over many years, I think people have, there's a lot of confusion about the issue of heaven, and I think people are not sure what to believe, and as a result, they end up living for this world more than they do the next. The Puritan John Owen summed it up like this. We all profess that we are bound for heaven, immortality, and glory, but is, it, but is it any evidence that we really desire it if all our thoughts are consumed about the trifles of this world, which we must leave behind us, and have only occasional thoughts of things above? You see, I think most people's attitude is this. Heaven can wait. Paul says to the believers in Corinth, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and a couple of verses from that chapter. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Can we say that? Would that be something that we say? I would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. 
You see, it's so easy to lose sight of what heaven is really about and to live just for this world. We cling to this life as if it was the only life there was. Our attitude is heaven can wait. And the reason is we really don't believe what the Bible promises. You see, wonky theology about heaven, understanding our understanding of what God says about heaven, if that's wrong, then it will lead to wrong beliefs which will impact poor choices and poor behavior. My uh, mum was widowed and remarried, was uh, married for 15 years before she died, and uh, was really happy. Uh, My stepfather was a lovely man. He was a fantastic grandfather to my children. But um, he was uh, riddled with rheumatoid arthritis, and so... um, I mean, it was, his, hands were, his hands were like that. They were all clawed up. Uh, he was hunched. When he walked, and he, he walked on sort of bits of his feet because it was, it was so bad. And when he walked, you could hear all the bones cracking as he walked. You could hear them cracking as he walked across the room. He was in constant pain all the time. And yet I never heard him complain. They were, uh, as I, they were magnificent. They were such examples of the Christian faith. But there was an area... And I love them dearly. They're both in glory now. They're both with the Lord now. But there was an area where they were weak. And it was this whole issue of, of, uh, of what happens when we die. And so uh, my stepfather believed that he was going to be healed. And, uh, and he would say it to whoever would listen to him. My mum would say it as well. They, uh, they declared it at every opportunity. He's riddled with arthritis. He's crippled with it. He was saying, I'm going to be healed in this life. I'm going to run. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And and in the end, it was so awkward. Lots of people avoided talking to them about it because they just didn't know what to say. There was no reality at all about where they were at. They wouldn't talk about the possibility that maybe it it wasn't for this life. It was for the next. And as a result, it impacted the way they lived They're wrong thinking, they missed something, and as a result, the whole issue of suffering and heaven, I think they missed out on so much. Now, they love God, okay, and they're with the Lord, but I want to tell you, it is so easy to slip into wrong thinking. You see, secular uh, ideas, secular thinking ridicules the idea of heaven. One of the best-known songs of the 20th century was imagined by uh, John Lennon. And it's often used at funerals, and these are some of the lyrics to it. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That's a song that people uh, resonates with many, many people in the world we live in. Films that we watch caricature heaven uh, as a place where people aimlessly float around in white. Classical art uh, shows heaven populated by cherubs lying in the clouds playing harps. Literature portrays, often portrays hell as the place to be where all the fun people are. Even when we come to Christmas, we're going to sing carols. There's a carol uh, once in Royal David City and the last few lines of the carol say this. We shall see him, that's Jesus, 
We shall see him but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, where like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. Every time, you've heard me say this before, I'm sure. Every time I hear that, I just think, so wait around. It just conveys to me, it's sort of like a bus. So I think, well, um, whew, so, um, so what, when's, the next, when's the next song? Um, and, and how long? Oh, right. Hmm. <laughs> All in white shall wait around. It is a poor, poor picture of what the Bible talks about in terms of heaven. You see, many people think of, of heaven being like an unending church service going on and on. I mean, you, some of you may think Sunday mornings are long. Eternity. Really? Is that what it's like? And so, as a result, many people are not sure whether there is a heaven and what it's like and whether they really even want to go there. Why are we so deceived about heaven? Well, the Bible tells us that there is an enemy, the devil, and the devil hates God, he hates the people of God, he hates the things of God. He is a liar and the father of lies, John tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 6, it says this of the devil, that he opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place. The devil loves to make a mockery of heaven and, and leave people with an idea of it so far less than it really is so that they're really not sure whether they want to go there. He is delighted when people don't understand, or better, don't believe what God says about heaven. Heaven can wait. Is that you? Let's get our thinking straight this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about heaven. I want to talk to you about heaven on earth. C.H. Spurgeon said this, when he was talking about heaven. He said, to come to thee is to come home from exile, to come to land out of the raging storm, to come to rest after long labor, to come to the goal of my desires and the summit of my wishes. You see, people think in terms of our future destiny is in heaven and we struggle to get our heads around it. What's that like? What's heaven like? And actually, the Bible talks about us uh, being, uh, our destiny is not heaven. Our destiny is a new earth where God will come and dwell with us. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and we will dwell on a new earth, and God will come and live with us. Listen to this. It says uh, in Isaiah 65, this is promised in the Old Testament, verse 17, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. That is the great promise of the New Testament and the Bible. This will be just like what God will do with our bodies. When it uses this, we're talking about uh, uh, the new heavens and a new earth. The word it uses, the, the Greek word is like born again. The heavens... And the earth will be literally born again. It will be like a, a field of wheat that's just stubble that's left. 
just a mess, and the stubble gets burned, but out of it comes a beautiful new landscape. Literally, the heavens will be born again, just as we're born again, and we're going to have new bodies. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. And the thing is, it's going to be far, far, far better than this world. That is ultimate reality. And not only that, God is going to come and live with us. He's going to move a dress. That's always been the plan. All through the Bible we see God's intention. Right from the very Garden of Eden when he walked with Adam. When Adam turned and fell and we, as a result of it, we've all inherited Adam's DNA and we live our own way without reference to God. God wants relationship with us. He wants to walk with us. And so all through the Old Testament we read of, uh, of, of men who walked with God. God allowed them to walk with him. He called Abraham his friend. God wants to be with us. We read about Moses. And Moses, and he sees this burning bush, and God says, come and draw near. God wants Moses to draw near, but he, he says, you can't come too close because I'm holy and, and you're sinful. You, you've, you're living without reference with this, this stuff in you that, that would just, I would consume you if you come too close. You can, I want you to come close, but you can't come too close. And so God, all through the Old Testament, the message of the Old Testament is a God who wants us to approach him and come near, and he, he, he makes it possible for us to. And so we read about temples and tabernacles and ways that uh, men can come near to God, but they are just a shadow of what God really wants. And so we read about in prophetic books like Ezekiel, we read about there's going to be a new temple. One day there will be a new temple. And Ezekiel talks, tells this, in this prophecy, this magnificent temple, this picture. It was never built. It was never built. And at the end of Ezekiel, the last words in the book of Ezekiel are, it, are the Lord is there. God wants to be amongst his people. There will be a day when that prophecy is equal will be fulfilled, but it won't be a temple. God will dwell amongst us. And when we hit, come to the New Testament, the wonderful message of Christmas is that Jesus came, became a man. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with us. And so when Jesus worked the earth, it was a foretaste of what was going to happen at the end of time. Jesus was saying, this is what it's to be like. And when Jesus said to his disciples, he said, it's better I go to heaven. They're like, what? We'd rather you stay here. He said, no, no, no. You've not understood. It's better I go to heaven because if I go to heaven, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, God, will indwell you individually and corporately. It's building to a climax. There's going to come a day when Jesus will come back and God will come and dwell with men on earth. That is the promise of the Bible. Hallelujah. It will be a marriage made in heaven. You see, Revelation talks about of a marriage between Jesus and his people, the church. It's talked about as a husband coming for his bride. God has planned a mind-blowing future. The Bible may not tell us everything, but it gives us some clues. In Corinthians, Paul says this, No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. 
What will heaven on earth be like? This is some of what lies ahead if you're a follower of Jesus. Intimacy. We will know God face to face. We will see him face to face. No more veils, no more seeing things through shadows. God will be center stage. There won't be any need for buildings anymore. His glory will be our light. We won't need a sun anymore because God will be amongst us. His glory will radiate and permeate everything. God dwells in unapproachable light. That's what we read in the Bible. We will dwell with him in his light. It won't be like an eternal Sunday morning. If that's our view of what worship is, worship is everything we do, all that we are. Everything is an act of worship. That's what we read in in the book of Romans. Everything is part of our worship of God, Romans 12 verse 1. When we come to the end of time and we're with him, it will be like coming home. It will be like coming home. And I tell you, coming home, it's all about the presence of the person. I tell you, when my mum died, I used to, I talk about Swansea, that was my, it was my home. I loved going home. There was something in me that went, when, I tell you, when she died, when she went there, it was cold and it was empty. The place was the same. But without her, it was empty. When we, at the end of time, we will be in his presence. His presence. Our deepest desire for love, for acceptance and intimacy will be forever met. You feel lonely, struggle with friendships. There is a day coming when those aches of your heart will be forever met. You can know, you can know a taste of heaven on earth now, but I tell you, there is a day coming. There is a day coming, a place of intimacy. It's a place of reality. We will have bodies like Jesus after his resurrection. We will, we're told in Corinthians, we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We will be like him. We will have perfect bodies, perfect bodies. We will be capable of so much more. Our bodies limit us. I still think that I can do things that I was doing when I was 20. I probably couldn't, the things I think I could do when I was 20, I probably couldn't have done when I was 20 anyway. I can't, I just can't do it. You know, our bodies limit us. There is a day coming where we will have new bodies. We will have bodies that, that, that come from who we are. We will know each other in heaven. I'm going to read just a, a little bit of this. This is my, I want you to get this. Listen to this. This is magnificent stuff. Some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how the resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Show me, draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question close, you, re- you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience, though, in gardening. You plant a dead seed, soon there's a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. 
The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that the variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint at the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies, not only on earth but in the skies, sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? How amazing is that? We will have bodies, physical bodies. We will dwell on a world that is like this but so much better. We will, we will have food to eat. Jesus ate. No more Delia Smith. No more Jamie Oliver. We will, we will eat and be satisfied. We will enjoy life with him. Paul says in Corinthians in that passage, he says that our bodies will be imperishable. They won't wear out. We won't get up with aches and pains. We won't struggle with our hearing anymore or our eyesight. Those, their bodies will be, our bodies will be glorious. They won't be tainted with sin and failure and mistakes. And they will be powerful, not weakened by sinful humanity. We have so much to look forward to, the reality of our bodies in heaven. And we'll have a security. Our final home will be safe. We will reign with Jesus forever and ever. His kingdom will know no end. No more sin. Holiness will be written over everything. There will be no way between heaven and hell. It will be a place, heaven on earth will be a place of perfect peace. If you struggle with anxiety and fear, if they dog your life, be encouraged, there is a day coming. You can know freedom in these days, but there is a day coming where there will be no more fear, no anxiety. It will be a place of community. We are the people and the household of God, Paul says to the Ephesian church. The church is an outpost of heaven itself. On that day, we will know and be perfectly known. The Bible seems to indicate that we're going to remember people, but there won't be any pain associated with those memories. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus tells the story that uh, Lazarus, a poor man, beggar, dies, and he goes to Paris, goes to be with God. And the rich man goes to hell and there's a chasm in between. But Jesus seems to indicate that there's knowledge of people and past events. But for us, there'll be no memory of uh, pain or even though we will remember. We will know people. I'm expecting to see my mum again. I'm expecting to see her. I'm expecting to see my best friend who died when he was 42. I'm looking forward to the day when we reunited forever. In Christ, we will retain our emotions, our desires, and our identity in heaven. So we need to work hard at our relationships now. Let's try and make this an outpost of heaven on earth in these days. That's why we, we, we labor so much about community. We are a community where the king dwells in the midst. We're going to reign with him. We're going to reign with him. We're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're, going to, 
when we get to, when we get to this heaven on earth, God is going to be revealing things to us, it says. It says he's going to be revealing, showing things to us, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. We, I'm sure we're going to explore the universe. We'll judge angels. Eternity will have purpose. We're not going to wait around wondering what we're going to do next. It will be so exciting. I'm sure that there's going to be work to do. And yet it won't be the fruitless, pointless, work, painful work that we experience in these days. It will be glorious and joy-filled and it will f- satisfy our souls. Martin Luther, Martin Luther was so convinced that it's going to be enjoyable and there's going to be fun there. He said, if I'm not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. It's going to be filled with joy. Joy, C.S. Lewis said, is the serious business of heaven. It won't be boring. Being with Jesus on earth was never boring. Children love to be around Jesus. They are the best litmus test of whether someone's boring. If they find someone, they stay awake. They flocked around Jesus. Jesus was great fun to be around. And he never changes. He's the image of the invisible God. God is fun to be around. You think that's irreverent? It's God who created joy in the first place. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says that he he wants to fill us with a deep and inexpressible joy. If he wants to do that in this life, how much greater will it be on that day? How amazing will it be? How joyful will it be? It will be an amazingly beautiful place. I mean... We think this fallen world is beautiful. We see some sights and we are staggered by what we see. I mean, it still reflects some of God's glory. But I want to tell you, it is a pale imitation of what we will see on that day. Paul tells us that even creation is groaning, waiting in eager anticipation for the day that God renews the heavens and the earth. It will be a place of incredible beauty. God has given us an imagination. I mean... There are times I go, I'm in Swansea, I love Swansea, it's where I grew up. I mean, there's a, there's a hill in Swansea called Kilvey Hill. I mean, it's not a very impressive hill, to be honest. I can see it out of my daughter's and son-in-law's kitchen. I look at it and I think it's a little disappointing. But it's Kilvey Hill, that's, that's the hill in Swansea. I want to tell you, it's going to be like this. If that's home for me, there's going to be a day coming when I really come home and it's like going to see the north face of the Eiger and you stand in places like Grindelwald and you look at the north face of the Eiger and it is absolutely mind-blowingly staggering. It's no comparison. It's a bit like looking at the grey sea in Swansea on a summer's day with the wind howling in from the west and you think, wow, this is really, this is great, love this. Welsh summer, cagoule on. And it's like going, and, and then imagine you're standing on the uh, Greek mainland and you're looking out of a beautiful clear blue sky at the sea, which is an absolutely amazing blue with such colour and such vibrancy. The colours seem to be so magnificent. It's going to be like that. We are, what we see now, we are, it's like Shadowland. That's what C.S. Lewis called it. It's like the Shadowlands. There's going to be a day we will stand and we will go, wow, this is amazing. We will see the glory of God demonstrated through the heavens. 
in a new earth which is staggering in its beauty. I mean, we care for this world, but one day it's going to be wrapped up. And God will recreate all things new. At the end of the C.S. Lewis books, the last one is called The Last Battle. And at the end of the, the story, the, the allegory comes to an end. And uh, this is what C.S. Lewis says as they, they enter into eternity. This is what it says. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's what lies ahead of us. It's what lies ahead of us. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of reality. It's a place of security, of community. A place where we will reign with him. Reign with Christ. Be a place of joy. Incredible beauty. And all because God dwells amongst us. All paid possible by Jesus Christ. The image of the invisible God who became a man that we might know God, we might draw near to him. The key question is, how do we make sure that we're there? John is quite clear. This is what he said in what we read earlier. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty... I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. He who overcomes will inherit. Overcoming involves putting your trust in Jesus in this life now. There's no second chances after we've died. Put our trust in Jesus now and we will inherit all that God promises. That is the great promise doesn't cost us anything. It's free. It's done. That's what he says. It's done. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the water of life. Maybe you've come this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Are you thirsty? I tell you, there is a, there is a draft that will quench your thirst for eternity if you, t- if you just take hold of that offer this morning. It's yours. It's free. Maybe you're someone who has battled through the years living just for this life. Because you can't imagine what heaven's like. You can't struggle to see it. It's always been a little ethereal, a little bit, well, other world, I don't really get it. And so this life becomes all there is. God wants you to set your eyes on a distant land, on a distant horizon that is very real. He wants you to know that it's a place where all your desires will be met. A place of intimacy. It's a place of community. It's a place of great joy, of laughter, of fun. A place where we will be fulfilled in every way forever and ever and ever. Because he is our God and he will dwell in the midst of us.